Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, it is such a, just an awesome privilege, Lord, to come worship you, Lord. It's an awesome privilege to worship you with singing, the clapping of the hands, the reading of your words, fellowship, giving, the music, Lord, even now, hearing from you, Lord. What a privilege, Lord. We're going to hear from you through your word. So, Father, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you remove me. You remove me. You come forth, Lord. You speak to your people. Let me just be a mouthpiece for you. And just to say that it's just such an honor and a daunting task, Lord, just to say, use me as a mouthpiece for you. For, Father, we are the clay. You are the potter. So, Lord, we just submit to you. We pray, Lord, that you just mold us and you make us according to your word, Lord. We come just with a receiving heart, Lord, to hear directly from you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. And we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to get to know you, to know what your word says. And it is our prayer that we live it out. So we just thank you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is a common illustration uh, for many people when it comes to identifying counterfeits, more particularly counterfeit money. It is a common belief that federal agents, when they want to detect counterfeit money, that they study only a real dollar bill, a 20 bill, or denomination of US currency. So it's a common belief that that's all that they study, that they don't study nothing else, so that when a counterfeit does come, that they're able to identify it. But that's not entirely true. While yes, they do spend a significant amount of time studying what is true. They study it and study it, but they also spend a significant amount of time studying fakes or counterfeits. They do study it. So they don't just exclusively study what is true, but they do spend a significant amount of time studying counterfeits. So they do know what's true, but they also study what is counterfeit. And they always look at what could be counterfeit, what could potentially be counterfeit, in light of what they know is true. I'll say that again. They'll look at what could potentially be counterfeit, and they look at it in light of what they know is true. And we're warned the same way to study what is true, to study it and study it and to know it and get down. But scripture also gives us warning to be aware of falsehoods also. So yes, we study all the, everything. We make sure our Christology is good. We make sure the word of God, we understand it, we understand it. But scripture also warns us to be aware and to look at other things that could be true so that we will not be deceived, that we won't be captured by falsehoods. Can you turn with me to the book of Colossians? Today's scripture is going to come 
from Paul's letter to the church at Coloss. Our scripture verse is going to begin in chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 through 15. I'm going to read it for you, then I'm going to read another version of it for you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And we're going to be doing a two-part series. And this whole series is setting our minds on Christ. Setting our minds on Christ. Colossians 2. Here's what Paul This is what he says to the church of Colossus. He gives a warning here. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, it says, In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I want to read to you another version of that. But before we get to that, I want to ask a question. Who ever heard of being kidnapped by, through philosophy? Kidnapped, being held captive. Who ever heard of that? Sounds kind of weird that philosophy can kidnap or to hold someone captive. We've heard of people being brainwashed or programmed and to swallow these different doctrines of these revolutionary movements but never through the free study of philosophy. Why? Philosophy seems like it would be good, right? You know, philosophy by its definition means the love and pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. That's what philosophy means, the love and pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. So it seems weird that Paul would say, make sure that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Seems like philosophy would be good. How could pursuit over wisdom ever result in a kidnapping or captive? But the Bible says that it is possible to be kidnapped through philosophy. The word captive in our scripture here, it says this, it it means this, that it can be translated as kidnapped. The word means to rob and to carry off like a prey, to carry them into captivity. It's like a kidnapping. The Bible indicates that it is possible for someone, yes, the believer, to be carried away from the truth into slavery through error, through philosophy. The Colossian Christians were strongly warned to be on their guard against such a possibility because the letter to the Colossians is the word of God. This is a warning to all of us as growing Christians. We're not only told to be careful that no one deludes us with persuasive arguments, 
but also that no one actually kidnaps us through this philosophy. So how can we be free or not to be held captive? Or how, how do we not be kidnapped through philosophy? And here in the word of God, we're going to learn how to keep from being held captive through philosophy. Scripture clearly teaches us that he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. As followers of Christ, we were set free from slavery to sin, from the world and the devil. We are not the same. We're very real and we're changed in our conversion. We're changed. He who is Christ is a new creation. He says, behold, old things have passed away. All things have become what? New. Right. So the Colossian church, they may have been attacked by a type of cult or this, a certain type of teaching who had a specially dangerous form of false teaching that seemed to be enslaving the people. Paul essentially says this, watch out. Just like we just learned from the book of Jude, we're given a warning, watch out for these people that creep in. The word captive is a picture of somebody being taken into slavery against his will. And that's what philosophy does. It takes you into like the spiritual slavery against our will. As mentioned previously, people who are drawn into cults are often slaves to the doctrine and the slaves to the leaders of these cults. Christ warned us about this a great deal in his teachings. Christ even talked about, not only Paul, he pictured false teachers as wolves in sheep's clothing who would steal away sheep from the flock. Listen to what he said. I'm going to read to you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 17. Matthew chapter 7, 15 and 17. This is what Jesus Christ, this is what he says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bush bushes? or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is what Jesus said. He gives us a warning. He looks and he gives us a warning about false prophets. We must see to it that no one takes us captive. This is very important, especially since a new cult seems to be born every single day. Some will always claim to be the Messiah. Some will always claim to know the truth. Some will always claim that, look, what I know, everything else is wrong. These cults are very much, they're like these philosophers claiming some new revelation. You know, especially today with the internet, with Facebook, with YouTube, with all these different social media. It seems like everybody now has a platform to spill out their philosophy, their thing of what they feel is right. Their thing of saying is, hey, you Christians, you guys got it all wrong. You, you know, the Bible has been made to enslave your mind. The Bible has been, you know, used to manipulate you. Everybody now has an audience, right? And guess what? Sometimes if you're not careful, it seems to make sense if you're not careful because they come with these pervasive, uh, persuasive arguments. So how can we be protected from this spiritual slavery that many Christians commonly fall into? How can we protect others? Today, from God's word, we're going to learn principles about how us, the church, can be protected from becoming enslaved or being held captive by these different philosophies. So here's the big question. Here's the big question. 
How can the believer keep from being taken by philosophy and empty deceit, as Paul says? So he says, don't be held captive. So how do we do this? And this is what we're going to study here in the Word of God. Number one, the believer can be free by understanding the characteristics of secular philosophy, by kind of understanding. Just like I said before, how federal agents, they do study the true, a true bill, but they also know how to recognize or they know the characteristics of something that is counterfeit. And so we, as Christians, we also need to be able to recognize counterfeit beliefs. So we can do this by understanding the characteristics of secular um, philosophy. So here, Paul warns the Colossians not to be taken captive by false teaching that was attacking this church. He describes the teaching as empty and deceptive. He classifies them, he says, this is their characteristics. It's empty and it's deceptive. He calls its philosophy based upon human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. What does Paul mean by describing this teaching as philosophy? Now listen, philosophy in itself is not wrong. The word simply means the love of wisdom. Philosophy answers questions like this. How did we get here? And what is the purpose of life? Here's where philosophy has a problem at. Philosophy is only a problem when it tries to answer these questions apart or in contradiction to the revelation of God. I'm going to say that again. This is where philosophy has a problem. When it tries to answer these questions away from God's revelation, when man tries to answer these questions on his own, apart from the word of God, and that's how we get these things of the Big Bang theories and all these other different type of philosophies that come up. Because they sound, to be, they sound like they're, they're sound and that they're true. But it has a problem when it's outside of God's word, when it's outside of Jesus Christ. Philosophy alone is simply man's wisdom. Paul in 1 Corinthians said that man's wisdom kept many people from coming to God. He said that the Greeks were pursuing secular wisdom and therefore the gospel, it was foolish to them. How many of you have encountered that when somebody said, oh, that stuff that you believe, it's foolish? I've heard that many of times. Many Gentiles would not accept Christ because he did not fit into their understanding of the world. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 23, and I'm reading on. He says this, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And, this, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So philosophy on its own is still a stumbling block to many in the church today and outside the church. Many cannot accept the God who miraculously just created the earth 
out of nothing. Many people, it doesn't fit their philosophy, so they reject it. That doesn't fit their wisdom. They try to merge sometimes secular wisdom with the scripture. They try to fit what they believe and try to make it fit with scripture. They do this sometimes to try to understand creation. They do this to try to understand the deity of Christ or even the sovereignty of God. They ask questions like, how can Christ be fully man and fully God? We don't understand that. How can God be in control of all things at all times? They try to make this stuff fit. They try to reason it up on their own. Historically, many have tried to merge philosophies with scripture to better understand complicated doctrines. Some have tried to merge the evolution into Genesis to try to make it fit. Some have tried to say that God does not know uh, all things because that would affect God's, I mean, man's free will. Another good example of this is seen in the attack on what we call the inerrancy of Scripture. And inerrancy of Scripture just basically says this, that the Scripture in its original manuscripts is without error. It's without error. And so people just, you know, the natural conclusion is this, is that the Bible was written by man, so therefore it must conclude errors. So there are errors in the Bible. There it is, using man's philosophy. However, Scripture clearly teaches that it is inspired by God and it is without error. David said this in his word, the law of the Lord is perfect in Psalms 19 and 7. Christ proclaimed that God's word is true. He said that not an iota or a dot would pass away until heaven and earth passed away. Paul declared that God cannot tell a lie. So therefore, Scripture clearly teaches us that Scripture is without error. And that it is without error in its original manuscript, and therefore we can trust it. Scripture calls for men to be spiritual leaders of the home and in the church. But this comes directly against what society teaches today. For them, they say, oh, that's archaic. That's ignorant. That's male chauvinistics. They won't accept it. It doesn't make any sense or it doesn't fit their agenda. Many, many in the church and outside of church are caught and enslaved by man's wisdom. It keeps them from accepting the revelation of God. Paul says, beware of secular wisdom. It will trap you and keep you from knowing the fullness of God. This is what Paul says about the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2.14. This is what he says about the natural man. He says this, beginning in verse 14. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So to the world, the scripture is foolish. They are without the spirit and therefore confined to their secular wisdom. They cannot accept the things of God. Another characteristic of secular philosophy, it's deceptive. It's deceptive. Paul says that philosophy is deceptive. False teaching typically has an element of truth to it. And that's what caused it to lead people astray. I'm going to say that again. False teaching typically has an element of truth, or it's just enough truth to lead people away. Sometimes it just seems outright logical. However, the problem is that it doesn't fully agree with Scripture, and therefore it leads to bondage, a counterfeit. Listen, 
This is what Satan said, that Eve would be like God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is, what, this is one of the, fir the first lies. There was an aspect of truth to that. Because Adam and Eve would know more, they would by necessity be more like God. The problem was that Satan implied that this was best for them and that God did not have good intentions for them. So there was an element of truth, and it seemed to make sense, but it wasn't the complete truth. So it is deceptive. Secular wisdom or philosophy without Christ is often what Paul calls empty or hollow. It's empty. Paul says that philosophy is empty. That means it boasts great things, but it really has no depth and therefore no true power in it. Jude says something similar when describing false prophets in verse 12. He says this, These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They are feasts with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn. They're supposed to be blossoming. Twice dead, uprooted. He calls them shepherds who only care for themselves. They do nothing of true benefit of those that they lead. So they boast great things, but it's empty, it's hollow, it leads to nothing. He says they're like trees that produce no fruit. In the same way, philosophy apart from the revelation is hollow. It has no depth. It may get everybody excited. It may, it may get everybody uproar. It may feel real good. But how many of us know that a lot of things that look good and taste good is not good for us? We call it like cotton candy preaching. It seems to taste good, looks good, it's colorful, it tastes good. But you eat, you eat enough of it, it makes you sick. One person, like I said, they call it cotton candy thought, uh, theology. Another thing, secular wisdom is also based on human tradition sometimes. Paul also describes the philosophy of attacking this church based upon traditions. What does Paul mean by traditions? The word tradition means something that is handed down. We all know what that is. We do something that is handed down, that's handed down, handed down. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with tradition. Some traditions, I think they're good, right? Like Christmas. I think Christmas is a good tradition. I personally really enjoy Christmas. But scripture doesn't command us to practice it on a special day. It's a tradition. It's something that we do in order to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark says this in chapter 7. Verses 8 through 9, and I'm reading on. It says this. This is, what, this is what Jesus says. He says this to the Pharisees. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Let me say that again, verse 8. He says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9, he says this. He's, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. The Pharisees let go of the commands of God and instead held to the traditions of men. They had to let go of God's word in, 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 in reference to man's word. One of the questions we must ask ourselves when we look at things and practice in church is whether they are from God's word or they're from man's word. If we do not distinguish between what is God and what is tradition, we can become enslaved to traditions. The believer can be free by understanding Christ's deity. So now that we understand what does these empty philosophies look like, how can we be free? 
And we can be free by understanding Christ's deity. And this is what Paul is saying. He says we can be free from being held captive by philosophies, first of all, by understanding who we are. And if we're found in Christ, we need to understand who we're found in. And that is Christ's deity. Colossians 2, verses 9 through 10, as we've already read, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let's pay attention to this. It says, for in him, in him we're talking about who? Jesus. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. We have to understand who we are, who we belong to, and understand his full teaching. So we're found in him, so anything that doesn't line up with Christ is empty. Paul, in the next few verses, make the argument that Christ is enough and we do not need any extra revelation. He teaches this in several ways. First, when we understand who Christ is, it keeps us from slavery to false teaching. He says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul says in Christ the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The word dwells can be translated as lives. So the full deity lives in Christ. He is fully God because the fullness of God dwelled in him. It lives in him. We see this taught all throughout scripture. John 1 and 1, common scripture. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? Was God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In Hebrews 1 and 3, as it says, it says, Jesus is fully God. And like what others were teaching, and also unlike what many cults teach today, John teaches us that we can test teachings by seeing what they say about Christ. You can look at other doctrines, you can look at other religions, you can look at philosophy, and then, but you, you can tell if it's true or not by how they view Christ. Christ is the benchmark. The scripture tells us that. Christ is the benchmark. That is the real deal. 1 John 4, 1 and 3 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen to this. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world today. So especially to my uh, 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 young college people that are going, I'm not saying that philosophy is bad, but you can test it by how it lines up with how they treat Christ. If they deny Christ, it's a counterfeit. If it, if it, if it proclaims that Christ is Lord, that Jesus is Lord, that he has came in the flesh, we can say that it is true along many other tests. But how it treats Christ is a benchmark of whether it's true or false. It's all about Christ. And that is the theme of the scripture, setting our minds on Christ, our benchmark. 
any church or ministry or anything that you may see on social media or anywhere or in person that does not have a proper biblical view of Jesus is not of God. This is the failure of many other common religions that you may know of. For example, Jehovah Witnesses, Scientology, Mormons, and other cults. They teach that Christ is not God or has not always been God. This is how we identify the spirit of the Antichrist, how they treat Christ and his deity. He will deny the existence of God. He will boast against God and even declare that he is God. We see this clearly in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus Christ is the benchmark. Last point as it comes to how we can be free or how we can keep from being held captive. And that is by understanding our sufficiency in Christ. How Christ is what all we need. Christ's sufficiency is another reason we don't need the philosophies of this world to know God or to be saved. We don't need these other different philosophies. Do we study it? Yes. But we use it and we look at it in light of Christ and the truth of God's word. What does Paul mean by saying we have received the fullness in Christ? This means that we have received all that we need. If a glass of water, if it's filled to the brim, it's filled up as far as it can go, nothing else needs to be added. It is full. Christ is our full cup. When we were, when we were reborn and we were made a new creature, when we placed our trust in Jesus Christ, that was all that we needed for salvation. Nothing else. Faith alone in, I'll say it again, faith alone in, in Christ alone. Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 2 Peter 1 and 3. I'm going to read that again. 2 Peter 1 and 3. He says this. His divine power has given us everything. Everyone say everything. I said everyone say everything. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. These are just not my opinions. This is what the word of God says. Everything for life and godliness has been given to us by our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Setting our minds on Christ. We are sufficient in Christ. God in his divine power has given us everything we need. When Christ was on the cross, he declared, it is finished. That means it has been paid in full. All we needed to do for salvation was to repent and accept Christ. All we need is Christ. So if we don't know the sufficiency of Christ, we're going to seek our fullness. We're going to seek that emptiness in other things. It may be other false doctrines. It may be drinking. It may be drugs. It may be social media, friendship, dating, you name it. We may seek other things to fill that void. But I came to tell you, my brothers and sisters, everything that we need can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, according to man's wisdom, 
It's that, that doesn't make sense. It has to be more. But scripture tells us that if we have Christ, he is the fullness of what we need. Jesus Christ says this. He says, don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He said that this world is constantly running after things. And that's what philosophy is. It tries to answer these questions and the things that seem to answer, we run after because it sounds good, because it feels good. Why? If you're not experiencing the fullness of Christ, you will chase after other things and become enslaved by them. So if we're going to be kept free from slavery, we must have a proper view of Jesus Christ. Christ is God. But we also must know and be experiencing the fullness of Christ that he is in us. And if we are full in Christ, we don't need anything else. My brothers and sisters, Paul saw fit to warn the church at Colossus to not be deceived or to be held captive by these man-made philosophies. And I think today, in 2017, we need to even be more cautious of it. Why? Because we have so much access to so much information at the tip of our fingers. And Satan, he uses all these different things to try to captivate our mind. As I go through social media myself and as I'm doing research, I hear so many different things that oppose us to Christ. But if you're not careful, it'll seem to be true. It's like, that kind of makes sense. But then when you further study, and be like, hey, let me see if this is true. But when you line it up with, with, with Christ, when you line it up with the word of God, that's the benchmark. So yes, don't be afraid to study these different other philosophies or study with these other false religions. Yes, study it, and you do that in light of what we know is true. So yes, we do study Christ, because faith alone and Christ alone is all we need. But scripture also tells us to be careful, to be aware. And if we are aware and we know whose we are, who we belong to, and the deity of Christ, we won't be so easily deceived and our mind won't be captivated or kidnapped to all these other different vain philosophies. And I believe that God wants us to be mindful of that, especially in today's age. But if you're not found in Christ, you're going to be seeking for the emptiness, whether you know it or not. You may say, I'm not really looking for anything. Yes, you are. They have questions. There are things that you want to have answered. And if you're not found in Christ, I wanted to give this opportunity for you to come in Christ. Today is a wonderful day to say, I don't want to be held captive anymore. Every head is bowed. Now is not the time to be ashamed. Now is not the time to be shy. Now is the time to be bold and says, you know what? I know that I've been confused. I know that I've been inundated with so many different things, so many things that sound good, so many things that feel good, so many things. But you know what? I want to know the truth. And the truth is found in Jesus Christ. If that is you, and you have never sincerely 
accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here is a wonderful opportunity to say yes 